Welcome to the BG Podcast, conversations at the intersection of business, community, and public policy from the Austin metro and around Texas. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com slash podcast and on iTunes and Google Play. Hello, this is AJ Bingham. Our guest today is Nicole Conley, the CFO of Austin ISD. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here to talk about school finance. Well, always an interesting topic, especially uh, currently. Yes. A lot of things going on locally and at the state house. Yes, yes, yes. Um, um, so for those who don't know you, haven't read about, read about you in the paper, uh, just your role at the ISD, give us a quick background of just your path to the, uh, the chief financial spot here in the district. Yeah, so um, I came to Austin by way of the former superintendent, Dr. Maria Kristarfin. Um, before that, I had do- uh, worked in school finance um, as the deputy CFO in Atlanta Public Schools, as well as D.C. Public Schools, so about seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to that, I started out my um, school finance career in New York City um, Public Schools. I started out working in the New York City Council in the finance division, covering a wide range of areas, including revenue and property taxes. And of course, property taxes are key and germane to school finance. And so that segued into a career in working in schools. I worked um, under the Rudy Giuliani administration, working with Rudy Crew, um, looking for ways to sort of stabilize and build a budget for the $60 billion um, New York City Department of Education. And so um, long-standing career in school finance, um, decades long, and now I'm in Texas hoping to improve and, and make some um, school finance reform so that school districts can have what they need to serve students and families today. Yeah, we'll start with that. I know uh, the prior House Speaker Joe Strauss had appointed you to a commission that was looking to that um, prior to session starting. And what was, what was the name of the commission again? Um, Texas School Finance Commission. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Texas Public School Finance Commission. Which is a big deal, right? I mean, like what mm-hmm. just the, the basis of the work was trying to prepare recommendations that would go forward this current session in the A6 legislature to to handle to get a handle on the public school finance reform. Yes. Right? Yeah. Basically, we all know that the school finance system in the state of Texas um, is undeniably broken. Can you refresh um, us on why that is, though, for folks who may not who are maybe just new to Texas. And... Sure. So there, the school it's a it's a com, it's driven by a complex formula. And many of the elements of the formula are so outdated, they don't, they don't necessarily reflect the current needs of today. When, was, so that for, when was that formula created? The formula created? Was, was created back in 1980s, right. right? They Fair haven't enough. had meaningful updates. So, you know, we're talking back times when gas was 91 cent. Oh, yes. You can actually get a pay rent of like almost $400 for an apartment in Austin. Um, things are dramatically changed since the early 80s when these school finance elements were put into place. And so now we're struggling, what you see is school districts struggling to sort of keep pace with current student needs, which are growing and mounting every day. Um, the workforce demands and skill sets that are required for our students to be successful in life have greatly outpaced any of the funding mechanisms in the school finance laws. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't keep pace with inflation. And at the same time, property taxes are at unprecedented levels. T- um, taxpayers are paying more and more in property taxes. You're seeing a proliferation in certain areas and communities in Austin where you're seeing gentrification occurring and you have people living in homes where they wouldn't even qualify for a mortgage today for the same homes that they they, um, had for decades. Mm -hmm. And so the increases in property taxes um, sort of was a, um, 
was a sort of impetus around sort of having to look at school finance because you really can't fix school finance without addressing um, local property taxes as an issue. And so um, the state is becoming more and more reliant on local property taxes to fund public education, yet school districts don't have resources. We feel worse off today than we've ever did because of the diminishing value of what we're currently provided under these school finance um, formulas and laws. Mm -hmm. And so um, a commission was brought together um, to sort of answer that question, to really come up with some reforms to overhaul this broken system um, since school districts, um, you know, we have a very litigious nature when it comes to school finance. Typically, the only changes that we get into school finance sort of tweaks are if we go to court and we sue the state. Um, there was a lawsuit of about 600 school districts across the state. Unfortunately, that lawsuit went up to the Supreme Court level and the state Supreme Court ruled that the school finance system um, was constitutional. Um, but it was definitely broken. It was just, um, it was, it didn't reflect current times. It was unsuitable and that it needed to t be, some meaningful changes needed to happen in fixing school finance. And so that was why the commission was sort of brought forward to really begin to overall overhaul those elements of the system that had become outdated. Mm -hmm. And just, uh, you know, it's, the conversations are ongoing, but it seemed there was at least broad consensus from the House and Senate and state leadership that, um, that something was going to be done. What that remains to be seen, I'm sure. And I know you all have, uh, the district has representation looking into that yes. as things progress. But what, just from what you know so far, you know, what we're probably um, like a month into session, what, are you encouraged by anything, any chatter you're, hear, chatter you're hearing? Yes. The various I'm, committees? I'm greatly encouraged. A lot of the support is sort of, um, sort of centered around the work of the School Finance Commission while there were, there's several recommendations in the, the commission's report, I think we have a total of about 35, 36 recommendations. Not every single recommendation I sort of wholeheartedly supported. There were some, some areas where I felt that needed to sort of be looked at again. But generally, there was sort of universal consensus around now is the time to, to really put some, infuse some significant dollars into school finance and really cure some of these um, outdated components and the and reduce some of the complexities of the existing system. I think um, the elections set about a tone change. I think that what we all knew was sort of that education was a priority for many of our local communities. I think the results of the elections with some of the narrow margins of wins from some of the um, the legislators themselves really set a sort of tone change in the legislature about the, the importance in, in, in making education funding a priority. Mm -hmm. um, you'll hear some of that language, even the governor's state of the state. Of the, the state. Um, certainly he, may, he declared sort of an emergency item for school funding, I mean school finance, as well as school safety. So, some of, so I think that that probably wouldn't have happened had it not been for the election results, which is basically um, our, our, our constituencies, our taxpayers, really challenging sort of the um, traditional approach of the, the sort of conservative funding for school finance. And, we, and, I, and I'm, I'm really happy and encouraged by what I see in both the House and the Senate proposal. Um, they're widely different 
in terms of the numbers, it was about a three point three billion dollar spread between Which the two. The house being more, having more in there. Yes, the house has about nine billion dollars on the table to split between um, local property tax relief and school finance. And so there's no, there's not necessarily details until we get a bill. Yes. Uh, for public finance, for school finance, um, which I'm, I'm, I hear is imminent. Hopefully, in the next week or two, we'll get a bill that yeah. we can actually model. Um, there's a bill out there on the governor's proposed plan on property tax relief, which is the 2.5% property tax cap, um, which doesn't necessarily address the school finance el- elements, but it does address the property tax relief. Um, and then obviously there's the Senate bill, which bas- it has more details in it about how much is going to property tax relief and about you know has about $3.7 billion going into um, public school finance to increase teacher salaries. Um, which we all can agree are good things, but obviously school districts need relief across the board. We definitely want to pay our teachers more, but in a case with Austin, we're seeing um, challenges with maintaining programming just because of the diminishing value of our, our funding system. Yeah, let's, let's go to the, that in the current just current state of Austin ISD when you're relating around the budget. Mm-hmm. And I think, and this ties in the state too, but the the idea of, um, of property taxes and, and the Robin Hood system. Yeah. And, you know, I think people... I mean, Austin just as a, as a market is a hot market, a hot real yeah. estate market, which means yeah. the properties here are more inc- are increased. And to your point earlier about the folks who have owned homes for you know 60 mm-hmm. years, not being able to afford or qualify for mortgage now, mm-hmm. a lot of that is because those properties are higher, right? Or the, the value of the land is higher, yes. yeah. which is tagged to when the state is looking at funding for schools, Austin's property rich, basically. Yes. And yeah. for that reason, they're pulling a lot of money from Austin and to other other relatively poor school districts across the state. Yeah. Right. Yeah, to sort of equalize the tax effort of all school districts across the state. Um, The case of Austin is the single largest payer of recapture in the state. Um, We represent, so the state collects nearly $4 billion in recapture dollars. Um, Austin represents about 20% of that. What will be the next closest market? That's surprising. I think Houston, I mean, just by virtue of population, Houston, Dallas, no, no? Well, Houston's going to pay into recapture this year and, and then Dallas in the f- next few years. Um, it's really calculated based on property wealth and your students in average daily attendance and their various characteristics. Mm-hmm. Austin is sort of an anomaly. We're the single largest payer. We're going to pay this year. Next year, we're projecting to pay almost $800 million in, in property tax. Um, you know, The state is actually going to coll- get almost... 60 cents on that property tax that we levy or almost 60 percent of the whole entire collections of levy which people don't realize that you know people pay more in their tax bills they're thinking you know the school district is basically representing over 55 percent of that tax bill and they're thinking hey i'm giving more to my local schools well no school finance laws the state really benefits from the increase in property tax values unless there are other adjustments in the school finance elements and funding formulas that would entitle school districts to more. Mm-hmm. And because those school finance elements haven't been meaningfully updated for all over, over 30 years, we're still stuck in a spending level that was set back into the early 80s. So we get no more value out of those increasing property tax bills. It goes to the states, to their, to their general fund, and it just reduces the state's share in terms of what it has to put in. To fund school finance, the fund to fund the school finance system, mm-hmm. and so so more so more and more um, almost it's been over. I think I've calculated almost a fifty percent increase if you look at just the last ten years of what property taxpayers are are putting into school finance versus what the state share should be. 
Um, and so in Austin, you know, we are experiencing tremendous gentrification. We've got these high property tax um, property taxes where folks can no longer afford to, to live in the Austin city core. And so I don't, you know, so the city demographers talk to about as a donut. You know, you have people that are moving out of the city core into the more suburb areas and outsides of Austin because they, there's no longer an affordability. And because we're losing families in the core, the city core of Austin, it's driving up our requirement for recapture because we're only allowed to keep so much per student in attendance. Mm -hmm. Losing students means that we lose dollars. Property wealth does not translate into the wealth of the district. So we're considered one of the most property wealth districts. We're probably at the 99th percentile in the entire state for wealth, property wealth, mm -hmm. but the students and families that we serve are not. Uh, most of them are considered um, economically disadvantaged, about 55% of our student population. Um, they qualify for um, various federal subsidies. That's 55%. 55%. And then we about a third of our students are English language learners. And so um, these populations of students really need more resources to access the curriculum and be expected to meet state standards because many times they're grappling with conditions and trauma um, that we have to sort of um, provide them with relief of or subsidize the education to some extent so that they can be successful in their academic careers. Um, so our most vulnerable populations of students need more resources yet the school finance laws are basically funding us at 80s levels. Mm -hmm. And so our kids are coming to us with more needs. Um, Austin is a great district. We have diversity in our programming. We have social emotional learning program, arts programming. More recently, we carved out money in our budgets to uh, provide capacity for mental health support on our campuses because our, all of our kids greatly need mental health support. Um, but these things, and then full day pre-K, of course, dual language programs, but these things, these different programming elements are not even funded or covered under the school finance laws. We do them because they're the right things to do. We know the programs are important for our students and families to be successful, but they're not necessarily covered under school finance laws. And so that was sort of the case that we were making. Dual language is a program we know that it can help students be successful, but we're not funding for it. Mm. Full day pre-K, no one can argue the effects of having kids um, enter school prepared for prior to kindergarten being prepared and what it does in terms of saving costs over time. But those elements are not funded in the school finance laws. And so um, that's sort of the, 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 the stark sort of contrast between what we have to do to serve kids versus what we're funded for. And, and those are the kinds of necessary changes and reforms that have to be um, provided in, as, in terms of relief under the um, under these this session, hopefully. Mm -hmm. At least make some progress on it. Yeah, so with that being said, what's going on at the state level is that's being drawn out. The current state with AISD, I mean, we, you know, for yes. those who have, you know, we're all, if you read the Statesman, yeah. the Tri Tribune and so on, we're very aware of how the state of Austin, of the Austin ISD's budget and the proposed, the proposed recommendations that are, yeah being floated around. I know nothing's set in stone, I believe. It's just those are what's been out, been laid out there publicly. Yeah, we have a $65 million deficit that we're facing. Um, primarily, like I said, we're losing enrollment because of affordability. People can't afford to live in the core. Um, we've got some increases in spending need to serve students that have disability, you know, our students and disabilities, those funding requirements, um, and inflationary components, our, you know, employee health care plan, 
we just have these financial pressures that keep mounting on our budget. Um, but because of our loss in student enrollment, we're, we're seeing about a $65 million shortfall. And so to, in order to cure that shortfall and to fund programs that we know are going to make a difference in terms of um, allowing the district to sort of close achievement gaps, so we're in some ways we're reallocating resources to support new strategic needs. So for instance, we want to implement a comprehensive school design um, for our most struggling campuses. Um, for you know that sort of those are kids that haven't really made progress in sort of the last three to five years academically, and so we're trying to like create programming capacity and support for that. Schools addressing school safety needs because of you know the growing tension around school safety and climate, so we can be take preventive measures, um, and and paying our teachers more. That has been our most important priority for the last several years. We can't offer competitive salaries to our teachers. I mean, if you look at our surrounding sort of um, colleagues and, and surrounding districts who are competitors, they're able to pay their teachers more. Austin can't because one of which we have this growing recapture liability and because of these outdated components in the funding formula for like the CEI, which is the, the cost of education index was put into place early 80s. It was supposed to account for regional cost differences, right? We know that sort of buying, you know, a home in Austin is greatly different than buying a home in East Texas or West, you know, Beaumont, Texas, right? And mm -hmm. so there's these these indicators that's supposed to account for the regional cost differences. Well, Austin has one of the lowest when it was put into place back in the 80s. And we know that Austin has, is dramatically different than it was in the 80s, not to mention just, you know, even five years ago. I mean, the cost of accessing housing here is um, really, in my mind, we've sort of, we're probably the, 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 the biggest gap in the state in terms of access to housing to income. I, yeah, I wouldn't doubt that. Yeah. And so um, because the, that element in the funding formula doesn't give us more, right, we're, we're actually unable to pay our teachers a competitive wage. It's really compressed our teacher salaries, and our teacher salaries are lower than even our suburban counterparts. And we're the urban district, and typically urban districts would pay teachers more competitive salaries because they're serving kids with so many different needs, differentiated mm -hmm. needs. And I would say it's a more difficult job to do that when you're serving such a diverse population of students. And so we've been wanting to pay our teachers more for a long time. We just don't have the resources to do it. But we're trying to reallocate monies and build capacity to do some of that, which means that we're going to have to let go and make some trade-offs on programming and, and potential reductions in the budget to fund these needs. Um, we're probably going to look at about $9 million worth of cuts out of Central. We're retooling Central, redesigning programs. That being your, mean the, the central office. Uh, okay, we're right now. Yeah, yeah, and we're trying to realize greater efficiencies with our buildings and our energies. Um, I know that there's a lot of fervor about the talk going on about school consolidations, and um, while that's not necessarily being proposed in this budget, um, but certainly it's something that we need to sort of take into account because um, we've got um, an infrastructure that was built to serve maybe anywhere from 12,000 more students than we actually have today, right? And so we want to make sure that we are taking those operating dollars that are being used for overhead, right? Basically overhead, utilities, keeping the building going. We want to take those dollars and, and reallocate them into programming, right? Mm -hmm. So that our students can get better served 
Um, and then they can have robust school communities. We want our primary goal is putting students into high performing academic environments. And many times that means the physical environment too, because conditions, physical conditions matter. Um, and they impact on student learning. We all know that, the, you know, even when you sort of walk into a, a beautiful and inspiring space, it makes a difference in terms of your creative energy and your ability to, um, to, to harness your talents and skill sets. And we, we know that from research. And so we're trying to improve the academic culture, improving building conditions, put monies back into programming, at the same time, save taxpayers. Um, Anytime we have aging, our average school is about 45 years old. Um, that aging infrastructure is more costly to maintain, not to mention we have to go to taxpayers and, and ask for a bond to help sort of rebuild or um, cure those physical deficiencies. And so when we look at what we have and, and kind of right size, I hate to use this term, but when we sort of align our physical space with who we expect to serve, it allows us to realize many different positive elements um, and including which is financial as well as saving taxpayers and and now we're having conversations with the city of austin and the county about how do we leverage our school sites and properties to really double down on our investments in our communities mm -hmm. we don't want to just take away a school but we want to meet new needs today right because the needs have changed maybe 30 years ago you needed a school um, but right now, the need might be housing. The need might be a health facility. So there's a way to repurpose our, 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 our existing school sites to meet more the needs today. Um, and, and then we do think affordable housing is the key to our financial stability. Mm -hmm. If we can get more families in the core, we will see less loss in revenue because of student declines. And to the extent that we can add capacity by building affordable housing in many of our communities, um, we would, we're really trying to advance that idea with the city. And so while I know that it may appear to be an emotional loss, there is an opportunity to have a significant investment in communities and really put something there in communities that makes a difference today. Mm -hmm. And those, I mean, those uh, just, you know, we all know well, the history of Austin we've talked about in the show before and just kind of the inequalities yes. that are systematic, that are in place from yeah. the 20s that were still being... I think felt even with these these when these discussions come up, yeah. and I definitely and definitely uh, I think this is, those are it'll be unavoidable. And those yeah. as those advance, um, it'll be very interesting. Yeah, just in a, it's an um, emotional issue. Mm -hmm. I've never seen a school district close or consolidate a school mm -hmm. without having uh, you know challenges from the community. Just because many times schools are the beacons of their communities. Mm -hmm. They're the they're the you know they basically hold communities together. They know that, you know, it can bring about sort of um, safety questions and um, there's a lot of meaningful value from schools in our communities. Uh, and so we expect those conversations to be hard. Um, but, you know, from my perspective as a mom and um, having been in a public school system, um, I know the cost of not providing kids with high quality academic um, success, right? Every time we graduate students that don't sustain college or some kind of workforce or post-secondary skill set, we're taking a million dollars in lifetime earning out of their pockets. And so in my mind, to provide ec the economic livelihood for all of our students, we've got to start looking at these tough choices because what they're expected to know, the technology that they have to put, you know, that they're expected to know far surpasses anything that even when I was in school. And so we've got to look at sort of making sure that we're, we're making the right investments for our students, 
getting them into the highest performing academic cultures, making sure they have access to technology. And you can't really do that without sort of realigning your resources. Um, mm. We, you know, we always have infinite need, but we got finite resources. And yeah. our kids, um, when they walk into a school building, all they all they know is their future, right? And so, holding on to the past sometimes um, doesn't. It's a it can compete with the need to change, the necessity for change. And so sometimes we get into those debates with the, the closure decision is that is just it's an emotional decision and, and people feeling like they have to let go of a history. Um, but I think that, you know, we have to sort of do our best to make sure our students have what they need and that they're in a place where they feel like they can learn and really access the, the information and, the, and build on their skill sets. You know, uh, many of our buildings are not technologically um, like supportable wired and, and wired. Um, and so this gives us an opportunity to, to bring, because some of our kids, the only time they see technology is when they come to school mm-hmm. or are able to build proficiency in it is in school. Um, and so it's really important for us to kind of challenge ourselves and, and sort of letting go. And if we want to do better for our kids, because honestly, it's, 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 uh, it's about economic livelihood. Mm-hmm. Well, that, Nicole, I want to end the show, and thank you for your time. We'd love to get you back on as these conversations um, are getting underway and and fully, I'm I'm sure, at some point this summer and the fall, and definitely love to have you back on the show post-session to to talk about what's come out of the legislature. Yes, absolutely. Hopefully we'll have a bill to respond to in a few weeks, and I think this is now's the time to strike for public school finance, and so our, our... our voting constituency, I couldn't be better served this time around for setting forth that 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 sea change in the legislature. So we're very optimistic about what we're going to get this year. All right. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's BG podcast. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com slash podcast and iTunes and Google Play. Subscribe to stay current on future posts.